0: Happy Friday, StoryFam. With every passing week, it seems like we're seeing new signs of life and new reasons to hope that the worst of this pandemic is now behind us. And with each passing Sunday, I've enjoyed seeing more and more people returning to in-person worship. So far, I think we've seen about 55 to 60% of our congregation return in person. And as our city's vaccine supplies begin to exceed our city's demand for the vaccine, I'm hoping to see more and more of you in person as you feel better about returning and uh, and safer of course I know some of you have been waiting for story kids ministries to get back in full swing before you come back and I've got some really good news to share with you along those lines and I'm so excited to say that this Sunday May the 2nd story kids will reopen at our River Oaks campus for K through third grade programming K through third grade at River Oaks will finally be reopening this Sunday And I hope that this news brings our families some long overdue relief after the year you've had. And I hope that it means we get to see more of you um, starting this Sunday and in the weeks ahead. You can pre-register your child ahead of time or you can just do it when you arrive on Sunday. We couldn't be more excited about this important reopening. As always, we cannot make these things happen without our volunteer teams. And we're currently in the process of rebuilding our volunteer base as we bounce back from the shutdown. Now, if you're not already serving on a team at the story, please consider this your formal invitation to get involved. This is all hands on deck season, y'all, and we need everyone to serve in some capacity, especially in terms of that um, in terms of that children's ministry, the Story Kids uh, team. That's where we need the most help. So you can sign up at thestory.church/teams, or just find more information on that site. So let's get to this week's reflection, shall we? it is called what is church for what is church for when i was a kid growing up in the bible belt i believed that there were two kinds of people in the world and these two groups was all there was and there were no gray areas in between on the one hand you had christians who went to church and on the other hand you had sinners who did not and so whether you were a good person or not depended on whether you went to church and that's probably one of the reasons why attending church always felt forced in the huffman home growing up and today i can say that i'm grateful that my parents made me go to church but i'm also fairly certain that jesus never intended to start some you know institution that would eventually become mandatory for children and and adults i suppose (laughs) the next person who comes up to me and says jesus really changed my life at some mandatory event one time will be the first to ever say something like that (laughs) do you imagine really that as jesus died on the cross he thought to himself i'm doing this so one day many years from now parents can drag their children kicking and screaming to church against their will i don't think that's likely at all obligatory church attendance should be repulsive to us as Christians and non-Christians alike, when going to church is just what people do because it's the good or right thing to do, then anyone who wants to be good will feel obligated to attend. But nobody ever wants to do anything out of a sense of obligation, do they? I mean, you're obligated to do things like pay taxes. So should Sunday morning feel like tax day every week It was never Jesus's intention to start an institution that people feel obligated to attend he came to give people a life that were free to live his audience attended his sermons because they wanted to not because they had to when Jesus finished preaching the people didn't just go home with a gold star for perfect attendance with their heads held a little higher than the Sunday before they either enlisted in his movement or they walked away from Jesus altogether there was no such thing as a casual attendee of Jesus Christ there were disciples of Jesus and then there was everyone else these days Christians attend our churches for all kinds of reasons good and bad believers often go to church out of respect for their tradition or their family or social reasons or to feel better about themselves or to find ways to serve the needy and these are all perfectly understandable reasons for going to church But let's be honest, none of those reasons for going to church would be remotely compelling to any of our non-Christian neighbors and friends. They can do charity work at any secular nonprofit. They can feel better about themselves by going to the gym or reading a, a book. They can make friends at the club or at work. They can find tradition at a football game. We need better answers to the question, why do you go to church? Thankfully, those answers exist. And to find those answers, all we have to do is peel back 2,000 years' worth of layers to uncover what the church was when it began. The New Testament is unequivocal in in its explanation of the church's identity and purpose. With this week's reflection, let's compare three common lies and myths about the church with three biblical truths about the church. So, lie number one is that the church is a building, and truth number one is, is that the church is a gathering of sinners saved by grace. Now, I hear you saying, of course, the church is not a building. Of course, the church is the people. Of course. But that's only in theory, isn't it? In reality, everybody still thinks the church is a building. (laughs) I can prove it to you. Next time you drive past a large rectangular building with a tall steeple on top of it and a cross at the top of it, (laughs) point to that building and and ask anyone in the car, what is that over there? And you'll never hear them say, well, that's the building where the church gathers. No matter whether or not they're Christians, 100% of your friends in the car with you would look at that same building and say, well, that's a church. That's just how we think about church as a building. But one night as Jesus sat around a campfire and asked his disciples what people had been saying about him, They said, some say you're John the Baptist reincarnate. Others say you're some kind of prophet. But then Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, who do you think that I am? And Simon Peter said, you're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus replied, your name doesn't do you justice, Simon. From now on, your new name is the rock, Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my, you guessed it, right? You know the word, church. That word conjures thoughts of buildings and committees, denominations, and institutions. What if I told you that Jesus never used the word church and that the word church wasn't introduced into the biblical text until 1611? What if the word Jesus used really meant something completely different than a building or an institution? Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia or ecclesia, In Matthew 16 verse 18 ecclesia was a fairly common Greek word meaning a gathering of people called out for a specific purpose and it could be a religious gathering or not but he said he was going to build one of his own he was going to call together an ecclesia in in, under his banner in his name and when Jesus said upon this rock I will build my ecclesia he was predicting the rise of his movement of people sinners who were called out specifically for the purpose of spreading his gospel. The New Testament makes two things clear about the Ecclesia. First, Jesus believed his movement would change the world. Matthew's gospel closes with Jesus telling the disciples to go make disciples in every nation. Second, everywhere new disciples were made, the world was turned upside down. After Peter preached his first sermon in Jerusalem, 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus— And after that, chaos ensued, but it was a beautiful chaos. In Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47, we find that all the Lord's followers met often together. They met often together. And they shared everything that they had. Day after day, they met together in the temple. They broke bread together in different homes and shared their food happily and freely while praising God. Everyone liked them. And each day, the Lord added to their group others who were being saved. Can you believe there was actually a time that everyone liked Christians and the local church added new members every day? There was nothing miraculous or supernatural about the things that they were doing, really. They gathered in homes, they broke bread together, they provided for the needs of the poor, and they worshiped. But they were thrilled to be a part of Jesus' movement, of his ecclesia, and their joy was magnetic. Christians today rack our brains trying to find new ways and gimmicks of convincing people to go to church. First-century non-Christians, on the other hand, saw the Christians gathered then and said, those people love each other. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this? When our mission is simply to be Jesus to the world, the world pays attention. Lie number two is that the church is a safe haven for Christians. The second truth I'll share is that the church... Is actually a rebel base camp for as long as I can remember churches have gone to great lengths to make their members feel safe and comfortable it seems like a noble goal of course but all of our efforts to create safe comfortable sterile churches have resulted in some unintended consequences in recent studies more than two-thirds of young non-christians in this country as well as a huge number of Christians describe the church as predictable boring and And sheltered these words do not describe the gathering that Jesus had in mind when the first Christians gathered for the first time it wasn't to feel safe with people who looked and talked like them in fact the miracle of the first church was that people who spoke different languages and had different values somehow learned to understand and love each other the first Christians put everything on the line and they gave all that they had to make sure no one ever wanted for anything and they died for their faith on crosses in fires on whipping posts and in the mouths of hungry lions even though they could have renounced jesus and lived normal long maybe happy lives acts chapter 2 tells us that the first thing the christians gathered for worship the first time that the christians gathered for worship and received instructions on how to live they did so as a rebel force in the midst of the evil roman empire This was the work of the Holy Spirit. The church should never be sheltered or safe from the outside world, and God forbid it should ever be boring. It's a training ground for every man, woman, and child who enlists in the movement of Jesus. And in this training ground, we learn together how to stand on the truth of God in the face of our own doubts, in the face of the world's scrutiny, and in the face of all other competing factors. The third lie about the church is that it exists primarily to meet the needs of Christians the third truth is that the church exists primarily to share the gospel of Jesus with the world somewhere along the way somewhere throughout history Christians decided that it's the church's job to feed them you've probably heard someone say that they left their old church because they just weren't being fed and they went shopping for a new church after that that would feed them better and occasionally I know that leaving a church that's not feeding you is a result of a thoughtful and rational response based on your church's lack of biblical substance or something. When a church noticeably pivots away from sound Christian doctrine and biblical teaching, I can totally respect a person's decision to move on, especially if they've exhausted every other resource to find reconciliation. Too often, though, when somebody says their church hasn't been feeding them, what they mean is that their church isn't telling them what they want to hear, or that their church or the pastor isn't catering to their personal politics. This behavior reflects the materialistic marketplace consumerism of our secular culture, which convinces us that we're the most important people in the world. If you're not getting what you want, you owe it to yourself to go get something better, whether it's a new marriage, a new house, a new car, a new look, or a new church. You deserve better, or so we've been told. In an article for a Relevant Magazine, Tyler Edwards wrote, A church community can and should provide resources to help you pursue spiritual growth, But it's your responsibility to take advantage of those resources. I don't let myself starve if my wife doesn't cook. I'm a grown man. There's only one person responsible for me not eating and not growing. It's not my wife. It's not the church. It's me. So, with all this in mind, what is the purpose of the church? What is the church for? Jesus told us, in no uncertain terms, why the church exists in Matthew 28. When he came to the disciples and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age occasionally someone will come up and ask me something like do I really have to go to church if I want to be a Christian my answer is simple I suppose it's possible to be a Christian without going to church in person, but why would you want to? The Ecclesia of Jesus is the most powerful, most beautiful, most exciting movement the world has ever seen. And when we get it right, there's just nothing like it on earth. Wherever the Ecclesia of Jesus has gone, empires fall, cities change, families stay together, discrimination gives way to equality. World-class hospitals and schools follow suit. Poverty disappears. Women are lifted up in dignity and and, and inequality, and, and lives are transformed. And the same can still happen today whenever Christians remember that the church is a gathering of sinners who are saved by grace, a rebel base camp where people are trained to stand firm on the truth of God and where we exist to share the hope of Jesus with the whole world. I've never seen the world more in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ than these times we're living in right now. Friends, it is time for us to be the church again. It's time for us to go out of our way and set our priorities straight again. It's time for us to be the ecclesia of Jesus once again. So I hope to see you soon at the story in person, hopefully, or online. And if you're not in Houston, I hope you're finding a good and Bible-based church to dig into wherever you are. I love you all so much. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody.